Good morning, church family. Good morning and happy new year to you all. You know, this morning I wanted to do something a little bit fun. I wanted you all to think back with me on all the New Year's Eves and New Year's Days that you've had in your life thus far. And if you can, try to think back of what the greatest New Year you ever had was. Can you think back with me? What year for you personally was the best New Year's Eve into New Year's Day combination that you have had thus far in your life? And I might also ask, what made that so good? Was it a big promotion at the end of the year? from your job that allowed you to travel somewhere? Was it, was it a particular child or family member that was home and just there was a lot of family around? Was it good news that you may have gotten about your health? Was it a new job right at the end of the year? Was it a wedding? Was it the birth of a child or a loved one or extended family member? What was it that made it so good and what year was it? I can tell you for me, The year was 2013, December the 31st, heading into January 1st of 2014. There are many dates in your, in one's life that are seared, that you remember usually until the day you pass, or the Lord is going to come and get us. But there are a few of those dates for me. I remember on October the 10th, 2015, I married my beautiful wife. That date is seared. The smells that day of the outdoor wedding, what it was like. The weather was perfect and beautiful. Or August the 24th, 2020, when I stepped into full-time ministry here at this church for the first, my first day on the job. April 13th, 2005 was my first day with Saks Electric as an electrician. And it, that was a great job that I held for over 15 years. And I'll never forget that first date, feeling nervous, but excited as I went out into the workforce for my big boy job, you know. Or March 23rd, 2020, when my beautiful little boy was born. I'll never forget that day. Or December the 31st, 2013. After a year and a half journey of the Holy Spirit pulling me and me seeking God, the day before Christmas of 2013, I met a man that I had never met before for coffee who shared the gospel with me. He was very loving. He asked me my testimony, and I did not know it. I didn't even know what a testimony was. And he shared the gospel and invited me back. He said, on New Year's Eve night, I am going to have a Bible study for my SBC my NBC church plant out in Wentzville. So on December 31st, 2013, I went to that Bible study. I don't remember a lot of what was taught, and a lot of you have heard my testimony, have heard this part of it. Ironically enough, though, the reason he met with me in the first place is because my friend Megan, who met him on a car, uh, uh, a test drive of a vehicle over at the Toyota dealer, told him, hey, my friend Tim would make a great youth pastor over at your church plant. I wasn't even saved, and why she said that, I'm not sure, (laughs) but she did, and we met, and he could tell I wasn't saved, but as I headed home, you fast forward that week on December the 31st, at around 11 o'clock at night, coming down Highway 70, I cried the entire way home. (laughs) It's still emotional to talk about this to this day. It's tears of joy, because what happened that night was that I fell on my knees at the side of my bed. 
and cried out for God to save me, a sinner. I wasn't living a life that was glorifying to him. I was lost, but something had happened. The Holy Spirit had opened my eyes to understand not only who Jesus was and what he had done and how loving what he had done was, but who I was in light of his holiness and goodness, a sinner in need of a Savior. There will never be a day in my life that will ever top December 31st slash January 1st. 2013-2014. The most important, the reason is because the most important question that any human being, any sinner anywhere can ask is this. How can a sinner be made right before holy God so as to avoid eternal hell and enter eternal heaven? Jesus is that answer. And he is the only answer. And thank God that we have an answer. My whole eternal destiny was changed that night. And it took the greatest act of love the world has ever known to save a wretched sinner like me and any other sinner who ever has been or ever will be saved. I was saved eight years ago Friday. Today's Sunday. Eight years ago Friday. So just two days ago was the eight-year anniversary from the moment I cried out God to save me. That's 2,923 days, 10 hours, 45 minutes, and a few seconds. But who's counting? Let us look at this amazing love of God today. If you would, turn with me in your Bibles to John chapter 17. John chapter 17. And as you turn there, let me get you into this section just a little bit. There are so many different points of emphasis that one could put on this portion of Holy Scripture when preaching it. You could spend a lifetime in John chapter 17 and never plumb the depths of it. But I wanted to put particular emphasis today from this text on the love of God, on the love of God. I want you to leave here more in love with him and encouraged as you walk into this new year. This portion of scripture is magnificent and it deserves careful attention. This is our Lord Jesus Christ praying to the Father. It is as if we have stepped into the very holy of holies in this particular portion of Scripture. There is so much here. I will not even scuff the dirt, so to speak. This section of Scripture is the very bookend of four other chapters, chapter 13, 14, 15, and 16. Chapters 13 through 16 record for us the words of our Savior to his disciples the very night before his crucifixion. Jesus spends the entire day leading up to his crucifixion with his disciples. They have the Passover meal and they walk around the city of Jerusalem in chapter 15. And while walking, Jesus is issuing to them promises, speaking comfort, and warning his disciples of what is to come. So let us read all of John chapter 17 and then work through it. John chapter 17, verse 1. The high priestly prayer. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you 
since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me. And they have kept your word. Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you. For I have given them the words you gave me, and they have received them, and have come to know in truth that I came from you, and they have believed that you sent me. I am praying for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. And I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. While I, am with, while I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost, except the son of destruction, that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I am coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the word And the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself that they may also be sanctified in truth. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may also be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you loved me. Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am, to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know that you have sent me. I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. What a beautiful portion of Scripture. You know, you truly do discover a lot about a person when you hear what they pray. And a lot about a person when you discover when they pray. This is a heroic and courageous prayer because of when it was prayed and how it was prayed. Let me try to set the scene just a little bit more for you here. All the talking is over. And as we step into chapter 17, Jesus is now praying to the Father. And what he is praying to the Father is that the Father would fulfill all the promises that he made, that he has made to him and to the nation of Israel. 
the humility seen by our Lord here is remarkable. The one praying this prayer is God himself, in whom and through whom all things were made. This is Jesus who will reign forever and is coming soon to establish the new heaven and the new earth. This is he who, while praying, is literally holding all that exists together. Jesus humbled himself and set aside his glory that he had in heaven in order to come to give away for sinners everywhere to be saved. That's love. And in his humility, he submits himself to the Father while on earth and sets a beautiful example of prayer. This is the true Lord's Prayer. This is, the Lord, this is our Lord praying. If Jesus Christ, the Lord of all, is dependent upon God the Father in prayer in order to see his promises fulfilled, then aren't we infinitely more dependent upon God for anything in this life? This is a beautiful and magnificent portion of, portion of Scripture. Jesus is praying this prayer during Passover. The occasion is Passover, and it is the celebration the Jews would have every year to celebrate what happened thousands of years before in their history. This context is important. This was a commemoration of how God delivered millions of their people from slavery and from the slavery that they had been put into by Pharaoh in Egypt. Every single year, Israel would come together in celebration of what their mighty God had done and how he alone had given them new hope, new life, and this new land that he had promised. He had fulfilled his covenant that he had made with Abraham back in Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 to 3. During this Passover celebration, they would eat the Passover lamb. You all remember what happened back in the book of Exodus, correct? This was a time of celebration, of remembrance, and of thanksgiving to the God of the universe that saved them and sovereignly guided them. Remember that God sent nine plagues of judgments on Egypt because they would not let the Jewish people go free. Pharaoh would not relent, so God sent a tenth and final judgment in order to set Israel free from bondage. The first nine devastating judgments did not convince Pharaoh to let Moses' people go. So God sent one final judgment on, his sinful na- on this sinful nation of Egypt. In the tenth and final judgment, Moses tells the people of Israel what God had commanded him to do before this tenth judgment took place. And so in Exodus chapter 12, verses 21 to 28, we read the following. Then Moses called all the elders of Israel's, Israel and said to them, Go and select lambs for yourselves according to your clans, and kill the Passover lamb. Take a bunch of hyssop and dip it in the blood that is in the basin, and touch the lintel and the two doorposts with the blood that is in the basin. None of you shall go out of the door of his house until the morning. For the Lord will pass through to strike the Egyptians, and when he sees the blood on the lintel, And on the two doorposts, the Lord will pass over the door and will allow the destroyer to enter your house to strike you. You shall observe this rite as a statue for for you and for your sons forever. And when you come to the land that the Lord will give you, 
as he has promised, you shall keep this service. And so they are. And when your children say to you, what do you mean by this service? You shall say, you shall remind them. It is the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover. For he passed over the houses of the people of Israel in Egypt when he struck the Egyptians and spared our houses. And the people bowed their heads and worshipped. Then the people of Israel went and did so. As the Lord had commanded Moses and Aaron, so they did. The final judgment of Egypt involved the Lord taking every firstborn male of the Egyptians and of their livestock. But God tells Moses to tell the people to take a sacrificial lamb, to kill it, to put its blood around the door jam. Do this by faith. God did not look at who was inside or behind the door. It wasn't based upon how good someone was. It was based solely upon the blood of the lamb that was sacrificed and spread on the door. The blood of the lamb was the payment needed in order for God's judgment to pass by them. The same dawning I had the night I was saved. The same illumination the Holy Spirit gave me. So as we step into John 17, we are right in the middle of what is known as the upper room discourse. These are the final sayings of Jesus before he is arrested and ultimately crucified. We see the Passover all around Jesus. And Jesus is on the very eve of his death. He has lovingly warned his disciples that he would be lifted up and killed. And as they celebrate, celebrate Passover, they fail to realize that it is Jesus who is the sacrificial lamb. They don't fully comprehend what he has been saying to them. Just six days before the Passover, Jesus says in John chapter 12, verse 23, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. And in verse 27, Jesus says, Now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. All throughout John, you'll notice that Jesus is a man who is on mission. He knows why he came. He never loses focus of that. And number two, Jesus is always looking to glorify the Father. And in verse 31 of chapter 12, Jesus says, Now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. Jesus says over and over that he must be lifted up. And 700 years before Jesus ever came, the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah 53 tells us that the suffering servant would be cut off from the land of the living which is to say that the suffering servant would be killed. So Jesus has the final supper with his disciples. He has the Passover meal with them in the upper room. He washes their feet and commands them to love one another. He reminds them that he is the only way, the truth, and the life in chapter 14. He promises them that he will not abandon them and that he will send his Holy Spirit and at the very end of chapter 14, Jesus tells them, rise, let us go from here. Jesus and 11 of his disciples, as Judas has already put into motion his betrayal, are now walking in chapter 15 through the very streets of Jerusalem. 
And Jesus reminds them that he is the true vine. He tells them to abide in him, to stay close to him, in order to bear any sort of spiritual fruit in their lives that they must abide or remain in him. He has warned them of what is coming. Then in chapter 16, we see our Lord Jesus encouraging his disciples and telling them that they should not fear, for he has overcome the world. Notice that he does not tell them that there won't be any hardships. He also doesn't tell them to pick themselves up by their bootstraps or just get over it or that things they're about to face will be easy. No, what he tells them is that he is going, but that the Holy Spirit will come. And the Holy Spirit, when he comes, will do three things. You can read it. That the Holy Spirit will prosecute the unbelievers. That number two, the Holy Spirit will reveal the Father to the elect. And number three, that the Holy Spirit will comfort them. The Holy Spirit will come and comfort them and strengthen them. Jesus is encouraging them to keep pushing Keep sharing who he is. And in order to stay strengthened against the world that hates them, they are to abide in him, to stay close, to remain. But something else Jesus encourages the disciples in is this. In John chapter 16, verse 27, Jesus states, For the Father himself loves you, because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. I came from the Father and have come into the world, and now I am leaving the world and going to the Father. Jesus tells them this profound truth. Brothers and sisters, did you catch it? That the Father God loves them. Jesus tells them that things will be hard. Last week, Pastor Jerry was correct in stating that we never truly know what the people all around us are going through. The past two years have been hard. Every single one of us has had our worlds pretty much turned upside down in some manner. We have lost loved ones and have experienced pain and difficulty. We have experienced death and seen decay. I've heard from so many of you about the ways that COVID alone has, has affected you financially Spiritually, mentally, emotionally. 2021 was difficult in many ways. I personally can relate to many of you. On January 7th, I contracted COVID and got sick. Though it wasn't terrible, still was sick. My wife then got sick with COVID. On February 26th, we lost our second child to miscarriage at four months along and have mourned our little one's death ever since. In October, I had surgery to repair a couple of hernias. It just seemed as if 2020 wouldn't let up. And I know many of you can relate. And that's not to say that 2021 wasn't beautiful in many ways, because it was. It was a blessed year in many ways. It has been a hard couple of years for all of us in many ways. But Christian, take heart. God loves you. He loves you. Meditate on that for a moment. 
That doesn't dismiss what we're going through, what you're going through. I know it's still hard. But there are twin realities. There are twin truths. There is a seen and an unseen reality. The seen and felt reality is the one that we are living in right now. You feel the pain or pressure of whatever is burdening you now as we sojourn through this life. And it's real and it's hard. However, the other reality that is just as real is that God lives. God is real. God is love. Jesus Christ is seated on his throne and is in full control of everything that is going on around you. This life is short, and soon and very soon, you and I will be with him. We will be with our Savior. And to top all of that off, God loves you. I am preaching this to myself as much as anyone else. As I continue to read this upper room discourse over and over, I notice something so beautiful about what Jesus says to his disciples and to us. And here are just a few. In John 14, 1, Jesus says, Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In John 14, verses 2 and 3, I am going to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me. And you also may be where I am. Jesus isn't crazy. He really left and he's really preparing a place. That's the on-scene reality. He really died and he really rose from the dead. And he truly has gone to prepare a place for those of us who are saved. This is the reality that must remain ever-present on our minds. In John 14, 6, Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Praise God that he sent his Son. John 15, 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit, and apart from me, you can do nothing. Part of the reason you and I may be hurting is because we are not truly abiding. Maybe we're doing our Bible time and checking a box, but we're not abiding. We're not meditating on his goodness and his love for us. You know, people claim 2022. 2022 is going to be my year. Stop claiming years. Stop claiming years. If the last two years have taught you anything, stop claiming them. You cannot control what is going to happen in 2022, but you can control one thing, and that is your daily walk with the Lord. You want to claim something, claim that you are going to walk with him and strengthen yourself spiritually in 2022. You have no control over your health, your wealth, and the rest of the world. But focus on your walk with the Lord and abiding in him. John 15, 9, Jesus continues to bring comfort. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. God loves you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. John 15, 13. Which is precisely what Jesus is moving towards doing. If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. John 15, 17. The world is a fallen, sinful place. There is hatred. There is death. There is disease and famine and monetary issues. 
But know that this world hated Jesus first and that he doesn't leave us alone because in John 16, 13, he continues to comfort his disciples and says, but when he, the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. The Holy Spirit will comfort you. You are not alone, Christian. The Holy Spirit is there. And lastly, John 16, 33, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Jesus has overcome this world. He reversed the curse set in motion in Genesis chapter 3. He has defeated sin and death and is the true giver of life. And sin and death have no hold over you. Be spirit-filled and abide in him. All of what we just read is so comforting and loving. Jesus is so gentle with his sheep. He guides them and shepherds them. He washes their feet. And then he goes and dies for them so that they can be saved. Escape eternal hell and receive the comfort of the Holy Spirit. Now, isn't that beautiful? And with all of that as the backdrop, you would step into chapter 17. And we won't go through everything here because we're running out of time, but you'll step into chapter 17, and now now Jesus is done talking to to the disciples, and he starts to pray to the Father. When Jesus had spoken these words in verse 1, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that the Son may glorify you. Jesus is worried about bringing glory. That's his main focus, bringing glory to the Father. Look at verse 3. And this is eternal life that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ who you have sent. There is the definition of eternal life in God's word. That someone would come to know Jesus as Lord and as Savior. Chapter 17 is broken into three sections. Section 1 is verses 1 to 5 where Jesus prays for himself, not in a selfish way, but in a manner that will bring glory to the Father. He has great confidence in the Father's plan. His passion is the Father's glory, and he gives eternal life to his sheep. Jesus prays. Jesus knows why he is here, and Jesus longs to bring glory to the Father. What a model for us to follow. We should pray to our Lord. We should know why we're here. We've been commissioned to go and tell someone how to receive this eternal life that was just defined. And as we go, we long to bring glory to the Father. The second section truly is verses 6 to 19, and it is the bulk of the prayer. This is where Jesus prays for his disciples. Jesus doesn't ask the Father to take his disciples out of the world but rather that God would guide them and keep them from the evil one. Jesus knows that he is returning to the Father, but his disciples will remain. And Jesus knows how hard it's going to be. However, he wants us to understand that we are called to be a united people living with joy. Living with joy. The Christian life is not to be a grim drudgery. There should be a bit of expected austerity in the Christian life, sure, but one filled with joy. When the people of God gather to worship the Son of God, there ought to be a spirit of expectation and joy. 
within the congregational gathering, just as there is in the Christian home, as we would gather around our families for dinner. A sense of joy. The fruit we bear by abiding in Christ is first love and then joy. Why do we have this joy? Because we know our Lord has defeated sin and death. And soon and very soon we will be with him. And that he loves us. We meditate on that. We focus on that. The third and final section of this prayer to the Father is verses 20 through 26. And Jesus prays to the Father for us. For you and for me. That's right, Jesus is praying over you and I. And notice with me what Jesus is most concerned with when praying for us. In verse 20, he begins, I do not ask for these only, meaning his disciples, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, which is any of us here today that are saved, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they may also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. There's a purpose for this unity and this oneness. Look at verse 22. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them that they may be one, even as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one. So that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. Jesus is concerned with the unity of the church. Our unity as a church body And love for one another is a witness of the gospel to the world. Verse 23 is amazing, and I go to a close. The Father's love for the church is the same love that the Father has for the Son. Those are stunning pronouncements. When we are doubting God's love for us, we should return to verses like this to remind us of how much God loves us how much it cost him to save us. Jesus is praying this as he is about to die for us. And verse 26 closes, and I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known, that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. You know, we may read books to learn how to prop up our self-esteem or we may go to Christian counselors to help us with our self-image. And there is absolutely nothing wrong with seeking counseling. But Jesus is, what Jesus is saying here is this. You are loved. Friend, you are loved by God. You are loved by God. The love the Father has for you is comparable to the love he has for the Son. Jesus had said in this upper room discourse numerous times that the Father loves those who belong to him. The real question I ask is this, how can that be? How can God love us with the same love that he loves his perfect Son? Certainly not because of what I've done or what we've done, but because of who he is and what he has done, we are incapable of comprehending the incomprehensible. It is beyond what we can fully grasp. However, 
what comes from abiding in Christ each day is that we begin to understand slowly just how much God loves us in Christ. So whenever you feel alone, defeated, the pressures of this world, please remember that you are loved with the same intensity that the Father loves Jesus. Stay focused this year on the Lord. Rest in his love for you. When we lose our focus on heaven and that reality, we begin fighting amongst one another. Or we begin to get depressed and anxious about what we see happening in the world all around us. Stay focused on the Lord. Pray that I do the same. Abide in him. Be comforted by his Holy Spirit. Serve him since you are still here and still breathing and still have a purpose and a great commission. And know, truly know, that the Father loves you with the same love that he loves his Son, our Lord Jesus. Brothers and sisters, friends, may the Spirit of God make the love of God ever more real to us each day this year. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we love you. But because you first loved us, Lord, thank you that you go to prepare houses and places for us. Thank you that you died to save us. You are our sacrificial lamb. And so just as the Jewish people would come to commemorate and celebrate and bring thanksgiving, just as you, Lord, were hyper-focused on bringing glory to the Father, we long to bring glory to you through our prayer, through our giving, through how we act, through how we love one another. Because you first loved us. Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for offering a way to be saved. Thank you. We love you. It's in your precious and holy name we pray. Amen.